1: since the tragic death of George Floyd. It's been nine days since I first saw a still photo and then some video footage of Derek Chauvin nonchalantly choking the life out of Mr. Floyd as he lay on a Minneapolis street, handcuffed. My initial reaction was shock. Shock at the nonchalant display at the callous refusal to allow others to render aid to the frightened and choking human being beneath the officer's knee. There is no word for Chauvin's actions other than the word used in the murder in the third degree indictment that he now faces. The word is depraved. The crime is depraved indifference. To human life. How could this happen in a mid-sized American city in 2020? How could someone with such indifference to human suffering still be wearing a police uniform? This is Joyce Cordy and you're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I am a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. I like to think of myself as a good person, a caring person, a model that my son and my granddaughters can look up to. But I'm also a risk-taking businesswoman. And it was the businesswoman whose shock turned to steely, cold anger when I read that Derek Chauvin had received not one, not two abuse of force complaints in his 19 years on the Minneapolis police force, no, he had received no less than 18 complaints in 19 years on the force. This includes a couple in which a firearm was discharged, injuring or killing a suspect. That out firearm usage includes an event in which, which happened during Amy Klobuchar's uh, tenure as the county DA in Minneapolis. And she opted not to charge the officers, but rather to send the incident to the grand jury. The grand jury, all white by the way, did not indict. But I'll tell you what, Amy is now guaranteed not to be Joe Biden's running mate. How did Derek Chauvin get away with being a bully with a badge for 19 years? Well, there are a number of reasons. First is the power of the police union both the negotiated power and the fraternal power. I've read about it in papers all over America on at various times about cops who are fired and then get rehired because of the negotiated contract. Another reason is the corruption of the Minneapolis Police Department that is legendary, but note, it's also part and parcel of that fraternity. It's a complete and utter failure of the police to police and discipline their own members. It is a sense, perhaps, that the law as it's applied to you and me does not apply to them. During the last four years, or I'm sorry, during the last five years, because I I wanted to check that number. I did go check to make sure I was correct because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. During the last five years, there have been 44, that's four 4 officer chokeholds reported to, the, to Minneapolis Police Administration by Citizens. There is no record that any of those 44 officer chokeholds that were reported to Minneapolis police headquarters ever resulted in the discipline of an officer, even though the chokehold is expressly forbidden in their service manual. And the last reason Derek Chauvin got away with it for 19 years, is there's a lot of fear of the police among the minority population of Minneapolis. So that 44 chokeholds in five years, it probably represents an underreporting because the people of Minneapolis are afraid to report illegal chokeholds for fear of retribution when they meet that cop on the street again. That's not my idea of adequate or legitimate policing. It's not surprising after a week of national and international protest, the governor of Minnesota has decided to pursue a civil rights charge against the whole department of police in Minneapolis. Given the history of policing in Minnesota, I am not confident that they are exactly the right agency to do the investigation of this civil rights charge against some of their own. But we we await to see what the US attorney in Minneapolis does about, with with the help of the FBI, about federal civil rights um, charges against the department. Sorry, I'm not holding my breath. This litany of numbers, 18 abuse of, of power charges against a single officer in a 19-year career, 44 officers who used an illegal chokehold on a suspect in a five-year period and knowing that that's an underreporting, you know, that litany of numbers just enrages me. You couldn't get away with this anywhere except in a governmental organization. In the private sector, we have a much higher standard of what we consider adequate performance and how we deal with inadequate performance. In most American corporations, whether they're unionized or not, when there's a first complaint of bad behavior or poor uh, work in uh, against an employee, the first thing we do is we look at how that person was trained and how that person is supervised. Did the person know that what was expected of them? Had that supervisor failed to properly train or consult that employee? That's the first offense. By the time there is a second complaint against the same employee, we're looking at supervision to see if there are other employees in a similar situation. It's just starting to feel like Minneapolis. But we also start to look at the employee. And when there's a third complaint, whatever the complicity of supervision, especially if it's the same supervision, we're looking squarely at the employee. And that performance issue by what we call written three, is a final warning. If there's a fourth complaint, whether we do it through counseling or just handing the person their last check, they are out the door. There are no ifs, there are no whens, and there are no do-overs in corporate America. Somewhere among the first two or three years of Mr. Chauvin's police career, Somebody should have followed a similar pattern. First abuse complaint, Mm, I don't know. Uh, Let's look at how he was trained. The second time, we need to do some counseling about whether or not this is, you know, reasonable behavior for a police officer and it's not. So, you do a little retraining. If it happens again, well, you warn the person, you try to console them out of the profession, and if that doesn't work, you terminate them before innocent people are choked or shot to death. Doesn't matter, white, black, green, purple, or chartreuse a history of abuse of power cannot be tolerated in a police officer. Unfortunately, none of those remedial steps in this case were followed. And now we are where we are. Tonight will be the ninth or 10th night of marches, countermarches and curfews across America. Policing in America will be on trial again tonight because despite the fact the majority of America's law enforcement professionals do serve to serve and protect, to protect and defend, to do a good job and then to go home safely to their own families, we got a problem. Because... Policing is, as was once described to me by a sheriff's deputy, a sergeant in charge of of an incident, actually, um, described to me uh, law enforcement as hours of boredom punctuated by seconds of heart-stopping terror. At that moment, I was on a ride-along with um, a a deputy sheriff that I was acquainted with, a couple of people actually, Um, as a citizen doing a citizen ride-along, which is um, a way to understand policing and also a way for civilian oversight of policing. And at that moment, I was watching several deputies vaulting a fence in the dark in search of a armed suspect. And unfortunately, what we're going to see on our televisions tonight is those moments of terror, And those moments of terror pose the most risk to both the officers and the protesters. And we're seeing it now night after night. And you know what? I believe all lives matter. Black lives matter, even blue lives matter. But the blue uniform cannot be a shield for the few bad apples that give the rest of the barrel a rotten odor, no matter how hard they try to do their jobs well. So getting rid of the rotten apples must be job one for every law enforcement agency in the country today, not tomorrow. Not next week. Getting rid of the rotten apples must be job one for every law enforcement agency in the country today. While politicians find the sight of a microphone irresistible at moments like this, and there have been running many running to the microphones, Congress passing the federal law outlawing chokeholds will not bring Mr. Floyd back to life. It won't change anything on the ground because chokeholds are already forbidden in the service manuals of almost every police department in the United States. Nor at this moment of anger, shock, frustration while calling for calm and expressing resolution to do better solve the crisis of this moment what is needed as we begin the second night of june what is needed is concrete and believable action action now that will set the stage for a continued de-escalation of anger and violence and abuse of power in the future. This is not a job to be done by a bunch of Congress people and senators who are preening for donors in front of the cameras. This is the job of the National Association of Police Chiefs. It is time for law enforcement, maybe aided and abetted by the FBI, but it is time for the National Association of Police Chiefs to step up and say this is our problem, this is our mess, we made it, and we're going to fix it. Because ultimately, these men and women are responsible for the organizations that we look to, to protect and serve us. And by and large, as a group, They know what good policing is, and they know bad policing when they see it. You know, my experience always has taught me that best practice is not something you read in a book. It's always entirely situational. And the National Association of Police Chiefs, those chiefs know what it is to do good policing under a variety of difficult circumstances. Starting today, they should take 90 days. They should come out and say, 90 days from now, we, the people who ultimately manage this very important activity in our society, we are going to set a common standard for police applicants and police training. We're going to work with the faith leaders And minority rights communities as we create these standards. We're going to work with those communities to write a rule book. Think about it as an employee handbook that details how we are going to enforce the standards that we set and how to discipline officers who do not meet the mark whether they are new hires just out of the academy or they've been on the force for 19 years. Police Chiefs of America, it's your job to create a living document, a set of standards that can be modified over time to reflect changing population demographics, changing technology, and changing circumstances. That's your first 90-day assignment. Then, You get 90 days to socialize that standard through mayors and governors and the US Justice Department and the state justice departments. And then you need a third 90-day period to kind of create a small inspector general force of police chiefs to audit. To audit the adherence throughout all the police departments around the country, and report back to, oh, we gotta report to somebody, I guess to Maine Justice, to Congress, to the White House, to the 50 state houses, and to the American people. Your progress, including names, dates, and numbers. And the last thing you have to do at the end of that third 90-day period around April 1st of next year, is to form a working group with leaders in the minority rights community to continue to improve on those standards, to continue to audit those standards, and to promote a dialogue that can be at least a small crack in the door of mutual trust and understanding. So that's a nine-month-long effort conducted by the nation's police chiefs to police their own ranks with the supervision of affected communities of the elected leadership of the cities and states they represent that nine month long effort that beginning of a permanent movement to improve the standards and to maintain the standards of policing in this country might be a fitting memorial to George Floyd and all the other young black men and women who have died in this struggle.
0: Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at ReimagineAmerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to ReimagineAmerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through ReimagineAmerica.org. And finally... Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.